The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode recorded from San Diego, California. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and yes, I'm in San Diego waiting for the White Sox to arrive to watch the last road series of the 2022 season. We are down to just six games remaining in this schedule. And since the last time we spoke, the White Sox have officially been eliminated from the postseason. And they are also still below 500. And honestly, that's enough to merit a complete teardown of the organization. Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, Tony La Russa, most of the coaching and training staff, they all deserve to be let go after this year's debacle. It sounds like La Russa will not be returning to the White Sox in any capacity next year. That's the rumor, at least, and if it does get officially announced by the White Sox, the is gone, and we could officially start up a managerial wish list. Who is on our short list of candidates we'd like the White Sox to interview? We'll share later in the show, while also talking about the White Sox vs. Padres series and Luis Roberts' wrist in- issues. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis, and Jim, the White Sox won a game. But not until they were officially eliminated from the postseason race. They basically made it as efficient as possible. And for that, you have to give them uh, some small, minuscule, microscopic amount of credit. So the last time we spoke after the White Sox, or even before that, two podcast episodes ago, when we were recapping the White Sox getting swept by Cleveland, I asked you, how would you feel the White Sox won out? And dangerously, they were teasing us with possibly losing out the rest of the season. Uh, what do you make of this stretch of play? The eight games in a row that they lost, and it was really poor play. So poor, Jim, that for the betting folks, if you bet against the White Sox, let's say you started $10 against that loss against Cleveland, and you bet the run line against the White Sox, before the win against Minnesota, you would have over $5,900 in your account uh, just betting against the White Sox. Just take it all those winnings and place it on the next game. That's, that's how bad it was. The White Sox didn't even cover, so they weren't even a good bet for anyone. But what do you make of this stretch of just the, the poor play and the lack of effort we've seen the last couple of weeks? What I make of it is there's really... Nothing or nobody to play for. Uh, You have some injury reckonings with Luis Robert done for the year and uh, Tim Anderson, Michael Kopech, et cetera, just all done. And, you know, the rationale is that like, well, what matters if they come back with a week to go and nothing to play for? Like, why does Tim Anderson need to rush back? Why does Michael Kopech need to throw a start? And I think there's probably some trickle-down effect there to where, like, you know, why does A.J. Pollock have to do anything? Why does, you know, Andrew Vaughn have to do anything? Why, you know, if they're all feeling, like, just banged up, end-of-the-season type, less than 100%, like, they're all probably kind of coasting a little bit, especially if they have guaranteed jobs for next year. So 
there's that. There's also probably a realization that, you know, Tony La Russa probably not coming back. Miguel Cairo, if he comes back, won't be in that role. So like he's not even a lame duck. He's just uh, a placeholder, seat filler type situation. Like I think there was a brief boost when La Russa left and there was something to be gained by somebody who was willing to sit Larry Garcia and be honest with the players. But once the mathematical chances evaporated, like Cairo just, yeah, he was not empowered to say more than that was terrible. That was basically every postgame, you know, media conference was that was terrible. Like he's not going to light up uh, somebody for substandard effort or jeopardize their place in the team or doghouse somebody because what does it matter if Miguel Cairo doghouses somebody? So there's a lack of accountability up top. And then there's just, I think, um, you know, in general, just a lack of adult supervision on the team. I would say just there, there's just, you know, Rick Hahn has really not been present. Um, Kenny Williams has not been present. Jerry Reinsdorf has not, you know, he's, he's invisible. Uh, LaRusa is gone and yeah, everything's very vague and just, you know, there's nobody really wants to talk about it. Everybody up top is acting like they just want it over as quickly as possible. So I think the players are kind of following suit. Yeah. There's, but there's something to be said about, you know, player pride, right? Like, I'm a professional <laughs> baseball player. I want to have a strong end to my season. Maybe I'm chasing after something, which we'll talk about later in the show when it's Dylan Cease's last start of the season this upcoming Saturday against San Diego. And all the, you know, conversations about veteran leadership and, you know, even the veterans themselves, like Lance Lynn, totally checked out. It just, that's where it's disappointing to me. But I guess in this type of season, it should be expected that, after the Tuesday loss against Cleveland, they get swept by the Guardians that they've checked out. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't really think it was a realistic shot of chasing down Seattle in the wild card, which they're right. Uh, it really wasn't all that realistic. But I, I guess I was expecting a little more effort, but they're just, like, laying down. And that's where it's kind of disappointing. It's like, it's hard to convince White Sox fans to watch these last six games of the season if you're not going to see a whole lot of effort from the White Sox themselves. Yeah. I, I think there are some cases where it's helpful to see the struggles like Elvis Andrews, for example, like having the hitless slump that he's in probably a good thing for the White Sox, just for those who were thinking like he could be the second base placeholder for next year. Like, no, that wasn't a good idea. That was just, he served the purpose he was brought in to serve, which was uh, crunch time shortstop when the season was on the line. And now that you know, the White Sox are done, you know, he's free to play out the string as well. There's nothing there. The one thing that confused me is like Mark Payton, who, you know, should have been up for Luis Robert or Larry Garcia or Adam Angle or somebody just, you know, they had a redundancy of right-handed outfielders who, uh, you know, could could cover center, but also just, you know, didn't like Tony LaRusse and Miguel Cairo did not want to play Adam Angle over Luis Robert for Reasons good and bad, like partially denial over Robert's injury, partially because Angle just isn't playing well. But like Robert or sorry, Peyton has been doing everything possible in Charlotte to get a look. And part of me wondered there, like once they were done, did they not want to give Peyton a lot of run just because it might make them look bad if he goes off and hits like 450 during a stretch because he's healthy and has something to prove while like Robert went one for 23 in September. And, you know, just maybe if the White Sox are a little bit more proactive in terms of how they handled injuries, like people would you know put the dots together and say like, Hey, why wasn't Peyton up here long enough? Rick Hahn, what were you doing? Et cetera. Like, so by, you know, slow rolling Peyton out to where like he's you know started two games and he's, uh, you know, drawn three walks and a couple of hits and he's scoring runs. Like he's doing everything asked of him so far, just not playing somebody like him when nobody is really healthy and invested. Like that struck me as weird. Just not having, you know, especially if you're looking for somebody to say like, Hey, if you want to reward some prideful efforts or put in guys who might be willing to bust it just for their own personal well-being status in the game if they're going into contract years or going into like the minor league free agent marketplace like Mark Payton probably wants to ball out to show something you know to other teams like not giving somebody like him a chance when everybody else is more or less done for the season strikes me as weird I hope you're wrong because if you are right Jim that's pretty low even for the White Sox front office standards because Mark Payton's over what 30 years old he's 30 like he's yeah. been yeah so he's been on uh, like a almost a career minor leaguer 
like Crash Davis, not uh, not to that status, but he's been in the minor leagues for a really long time. Kind of like the whole Tanner Banks situation, and the White Sox were not afraid to throw Tanner Banks into the fire. I I hope you're wrong, but you're probably yeah. right, and and that's the bad thing about it. Yeah, I mean, I I feel a little bit like a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not sure how much to believe, but just they've handled injuries so bizarrely this year, and without any kind of rationale behind him. Like everybody's watching him and saying like, why is Luis Robert swinging the bat with one hand? Why is Larry Garcia collapsing every time he swings? Why aren't they on the injured list? Why is Robert allowed to go 10 days without playing, but he's not on the 10 day IL. Like we're all watching it, wondering like what's going on. And, uh, you know, just they, they, there hasn't been an effective explanation covering it. And so like when that's the case, it makes it hard to understand what the White Sox are thinking. So your mind can go in places it might not have gone before to try to explain the inexplicable. We were going to talk about Luis Robert later, but since it's on our minds, we might as well just bring this up because Robert, as Jim mentioned, his season is over because of the right wrist issues. And he was very candid in his in his press conference with the media, Jim, about his wrist issues and that he referenced Sevi Zavala. Like, he did not want to develop bad hitting habits with his injured wrist, which is going to happen if you only have one good hand and try to hit Major League Pitching. And I thought you wrote a great column about the situation and just how there's just mass confusion. It's just this another item, another check mark against the White Sox front office. And just handling Luis Roberts' injury, to me, I think it just generates even more mistrust and doubt from a media or even fan perspective. From a media perspective, you get these reports, you see guys not penciled in the lineup, you ask questions why, and you never get clarity. And you don't get clarity Mm -hmm. for weeks. And that's a story. And fans want to know, why is this guy not playing? You are asking the questions to anyone that you can grab from the White Sox, and no one is being transparent in what's going on, so everyone is just left in this cloud of mystery on any of the players that are hurt for the White Sox, this case of being Luis Robert. But the thing is is that Luis Robert is at a, a very key part of your core. And after mm-hmm. seeing like three hand specialists, and they all suggested that he needed to take rest I'm with you. I am shocked that even Rick Hahn didn't step up and say, Luis, you're going on the 10-day IL. Even though some doctors say in seven days you could be fully healed, let's just take those three extra days just to be careful, put you on the IL, and let's really make sure that the swelling goes down and that's all this is and it's nothing more. Because we have seen it over the years, Jim, where hand Mm -hmm. injuries get very complicated for hitters. And sometimes it's really hard to bounce back from a hand injury. You really don't want that to happen where you have long-term effects for Luis Robert. So this is just another check mark in this terrible 2022 season from the White Sox front office. It's like we criticize on the way that you guys build this roster, and now you can't even manage the roster properly. I I just don't get it. Yeah, it was weird that Roberts said it was his fault for playing through it or saying he could play through it. And like, yeah, I mean, there's individual accountability and he probably, you know, learned something about himself and maybe understood like that, you know, it just day after day, series after series, the way he was swinging the bat wasn't going to get better. And so like, yeah, a little bit of egg on his face, perhaps. But, you know, nobody, you know, it kind of reminds me of like mound visits. Like, you know, if you always trust a pitcher to say like, I got this next batter, like, yeah. I mean, it's, you want your pitcher to think that he does. You don't, you don't want your pitcher to think that he can't. Uh, you know, I, I think there's probably a, a narrow band of games to where like, it helps if your pitcher says, I can't do this. Um, just, you know, whether he just senses that uh, the, the fastball isn't there or he's seeing pitches he thinks are located well, getting keyed up. Like, you know, probably a case where like, you know, the pitcher might be able to inform the manager before the manager can see it. But in most cases, it's like, you know, you should be looking at the radar gun readings. You should be looking at the location. Video guys should be saying like, hey, this is not going well. Let's get somebody up and just have, you know, be proactive and be ready to, um, you know, engage in hand-to-hand combat on the mound if necessary to get that pitcher out of the game, no matter what kind of look he gives you. 
And that strikes me as the same case here with Robert. Like, yeah, he says he can play, but you have to realize probably, you know, a few games into it, especially like after that Baltimore series, like he had a decent run of games, like, you know, some one for fours, two for four, where it looked like, oh, okay, he might be able to play through this. And then that uh, Baltimore game where he goes 0 for 5 and he is really trying not to swing against Felix Bautista, the Baltimore closer, and just 99 up in the zone. He cannot get the bat through. And, you know, even, you know, just remind me of the, the tweets from the Pitching Ninja. First, you know, saying like, oh, looks like uh, Bautista's ended Robert's career. And then he's like, oh, my God, he might be hurt. I didn't realize it. I'm sorry. Why is Robert playing? Like, when you make the Pitching Ninja uh, express remorse for clowning a hitter, that shows something is wrong. And they just kept, you know, trying to delay it and put it off. And... You know, that's not Robert's fault at that point. Like Robert might have been at fault like early on, like maybe that Baltimore game, like saying like he can go in the box when he's just like, you know, if, if they said to him in the dugout, like, you sure you can go? And he says, yeah, I can go. And then he goes and puts up that showing against Bautista and like maybe you don't want to pull him in the middle of the at-bats, but just after the game say like, okay, you know, that's, you want to go, but you can't go. So we're going to make that decision for you. Like they never made that decision for him. And I'm looking at a Daryl Van Scowen story that says, in hindsight, Robert regrets not going on the injured list. Hitting coach Frank Medichino warned early on that playing hurt would affect his swing. And Robert said it did. Like, why is Medichino warning Robert? But, you know, I'm assuming he didn't warn, you know, Larusa or Cairo or whoever above him. And maybe he did and just wasn't listened to. But like, why is that? warning not being heeded by anybody who can actually make a decision. Maybe Menachino can't say like, you know, uh, go rogue and say, I'm placing you on the injured list. But, you know, why is, you know, why is it between Menachino and Robert and not Menachino and Larusa? Or why is Menachino not stumping to get a guy uh, on the injured list when he's not helping could only be hurting? Like that's, you know, that's, you know, just, you know, writing about and trying to figure it out. Like that's what I mean by like, there's just, I think we've seen it before at the White Sox in 2011 and the end of the Robin Ventura era. We're just like, it seems like by September, the team is running itself and uh, nobody wants to make a decision or nobody thinks they can. Jerry Reinsdorf does not step in to uh, remediate any issues. And so like LaRusse is out, but Han has never felt empowered or Williams has never felt empowered. So like, they just all like shrug and coaches can't do anything. And, everything just stagnates. And in like 2011, like, yeah, I don't think there were any significant injuries. So the team just more or less like Adam Dunn played most days and almost you know, qualified for the batting title, but just, it was, you know, more or less the, the rosters run out there. The roster was what it was and just wasn't good enough. And Guillen didn't care to make it better in 2016. They weren't playing for anything anyway, but just like in this case, like, you know, watching them try to get there and watching, you know, managerial vacuum and watching nobody step in and say like, okay, this is my team now. Like nobody did that. Miguel Cairo tried Miguel, Miguel Cairo was not empowered to. So that's what it strikes me is just nobody can do anything or everybody's gotten used to not being able to do anything that they're like, ah, oh, there's only three weeks left. Why bother doing something? This is like any corporation where you have people that have been at the company for more than 20 plus years and someone's looking at the situation, hoping they retire because you don't want to fire them because <laughs> they mm -hmm. may have, you know, pensions or benefits that really hurt the company. Like you're, you're kind of nudging them into retirement. And that that is the situation with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. Listen, Jerry Reinsdorf's 86 years old. He's not going to handle the day to day operations. You are empowered do you want that responsibility or not? And this just this just really stinks of like corporate America type of managing gym. Like you want conspiracy theories. I wonder if Rick Hahn's being so hands off that it makes Kenny Williams look worse. But my theory is that Kenny Williams is quiet quitting. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think you're right. Like this is this right here is the crux of why. The 2022 White Sox failed, and it may just be because everything was on Tony LaRusso's shoulders. He proved that he could not manage the situation. Now he's sick, and nobody knows where to point the fingers, and the only one that stepped up was Miguel Cairo. Like, that really displays poor management from the White Sox front office, and they should be ashamed of it. But again, they've been in this position for more than two decades and I'm sure they're going to keep their jobs after this season when they would be fired by any other Major League Baseball organization. This is bad. 
This is really mm-hmm. bad. Maybe just, you know, nobody wants to be left holding the, you know, hot potato at the very end. Like we're cold potato, rotten potato. Like I'm not sure what the, uh, where the analogy is going. So I, I, I have a good analogy for you. So my first day in corporate America, my manager pulls me into the office and he draws a board on the marker board and he draws a stick figure. And he said, Josh, the most important lesson in corporate America is never be the only guy in the boat. Make sure there are others in the boat because if there's others in the boat, you will survive. If you're the only one in the boat, it makes it really easy to replace you. Yeah. So are they then like in the hotel? <laughs> like are they just so far removed from the boat that they just are not, uh, yeah. They're just on the dock, wait, yeah, waving, waving the, at the waving boat as it sails away. The, you know, and, and like the way they used to in like the, uh, the old newsreel footage, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it seems like is just that, uh, they want nothing to do with it. They just want, they don't want to be associated with it, even though like, you know, there's no way not to be associated with it. Like that's, this is the team that they built and the team they've been running forever. And the team that's only won two postseason games since 2005 and does not have a postseason series victory in any year, but 2005 since uh, world war one. So it's just, it's, uh, this is what we're looking at here, but like, yeah, just whatever, uh, allows them to keep their jobs in next year is probably, you know, like it's the path of least resistance for them, but it's the path of like most internal questioning by everybody who pays money to watch the White Sox. Like, why do I watch this? Why do I uh, follow this team? Why should I care? Like, uh, and, and that creates like a lot of resistance, I think from, from the fan base. It's such middle manager syndrome. That's what it really is. So for all the White Sox fans that have been on us for years, because we've been on Rick Hahn, always saying that, well, Rick Hahn's not empowered. Rick Hahn, it's never really been Rick Hahn's job. Listen, he's had this opportunity right now. Right now, he has this opportunity to be empowered. And he spent more money than anyone that's ever held a position within the Chicago White Sox. He's been in power. This is what you have. He's got an active lawsuit against him right now and the Chicago White Sox from a previous head trainer for un, uh, what would be unlawful termination. And the whole Omar Vizquel thing finally got settled earlier this year. I'm sorry, guys. This is Rick. This is what a Rick Hahn managed organization looks like. And this is the second time. The second time it's kind of blown up in the White Sox faces here. But the previous time being 2016, and let's go back to that real quick. Rick Hahn mm-hmm. did not want to handle the Adam LaRoche situation. I went back and looked at that. It's all Kenny Williams. Rick yeah. Hahn never addressed the Adam LaRoche. All quotes were from Kenny Williams and then Jerry Reinsdorf. We heard nothing from Rick Hahn. So even or in Robin that Ventura. <laughs> or even well, <laughs> Robin Ventura was was tried it was in survival mode. All right. There yeah, was a clear yeah. mutiny on his hands in spring training. So he just maybe he's just scared of confrontation. I don't know. This we made this Louise Roberts segment a lot longer and more serious than it is. But again, this is the crux of the problem here and why the White Sox need to clean house. You got a dysfunctional organization and the fact that they are this dysfunctional when players don't meet their expectations, this is what you get. You have a severely underperforming team in 2022 that's still below 500. They got to win five of their last six games to finish above 500 this year. And there's a lot of questions going into next season and White Sox fans don't know what to think. So, yeah, thanks, Rick Hahn. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and you know, when, when people say like, you know, that you, we don't know what Rick Hahn does or like what he's empowered to do, like, OK, then just use Rick Hahn as the placeholder for Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, Jerry Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, Jerry Reinsdorf, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, like whatever order you put the blame, whatever, just like this leadership structure does not work. There's no evidence that any of them are special. So like that's, you know, my point is like, I, I, I stopped caring about like how much blame to divide and, and assign and allocate years ago, which is more a matter of like, just the, the whole structure is pretty much proven. It's collecting checks. Well, unfortunately the reality is I think they're going to keep their jobs, which means Jim, they're going to be finding Tony the Roos's replacement for the 2023 season. 
Jim and I will take a quick break, but coming up, we'll discuss replacements for La Russa, the managers that we would like or managerial possibilities we'd like the White Sox to interview and preview the White Sox series in San Diego after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So after that conversation regarding the White Sox front office. Uh, maybe kind of bad news is that they will more than likely have to find the next manager for the Chicago White Sox. As earlier this week, Dan Bernstein of 670 The Score and one of the co-hosts of the Bernstein and Home Show, Jim and I are frequent guests, tweeted a confirmation that he heard the rumor of the White Sox moving on from Tona La Russa after 2022 as his medical issues may prevent him from working full-time in 2023 in any capacity. This may result in a mutual departure because of Tony's health prevents him from managing again or even working full-time in the front office. What's funny is that I texted you the mm-hmm. same rumor, Jim, from one of my sources the previous night. So it's almost becoming tribal knowledge for those that cover the Chicago White Sox that Tony Russo is not coming back and there will be a new manager in 2023. Right now it's a rumor because the White Sox have not confirmed the news. If this rumor becomes true, Jim, how do you foresee the next dominoes to fall with the White Sox? I would hope they would actually conduct an honest to goodness process, but you know, I'm not counting on that. Like I'm counting on them getting in their own way somehow. Like with Robin Ventura, the, they hired Rick Renteria immediately. They did not, conduct any outside interviews. They firmly believe that the right guy was in the house the whole time. And like, I guess to their credit, Renteria was fine for that job. He, he was fine as like a rebuilding manager. Like, and, and perhaps if he got a chance to manage the White Sox uh, after 2020 and how weird that season was, that perhaps he would have done as equal a job as La Russa or better last two years and he'd be fine. But he also showed some cracks and some lack of imagination for winning postseason games less than a complete roster to where like I understood why they wanted to move on but uh in that case like they didn't do a full honest goodness search there and when Rick Hahn like yeah he made a big show about who they're gonna hire or why they're gonna hire the next manager whoever they decided to hire they were too insular uh you know it's kind of like the mired in mediocrity speech like you know he makes this you know bold proclamation with unusual uh, unflinching honesty about where the White Sox actually are. And then they find themselves in the same position. So it's like he makes this big claim about uh, how the White Sox are going to conduct a search, how they've grown too insular, how they're really going to do due diligence and look outside the organization. And then Jerry Reinsdorf hires Tony La Russa. So like uh, I've already been fooled twice. Or actually, I don't think I had a chance to get fooled once because I just, you know, more or less assumed, but like by the time they announced it, like Renteria is already the guy. So uh I maybe been fooled one and a half times. And uh, so I'm going to actually see them hire somebody like <laughs> hire somebody the way normal teams hire somebody with rumors, with interviews, with like known candidates. 
and like just the way normal teams do before I actually believe the White Sox have the capacity uh, and acumen to do so. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you think we'll actually see a proper managerial hiring process this time? Because this is also something for those that like Rick Hahn or support Rick Hahn will say, well, he's never had a chance to hire his own manager. <laughs> Rick Renteria. Do you think we'll finally see a proper managerial hiring process? Because they haven't had one since like 2004 when they hired Ozzy, and that may have not been a proper managerial hiring process yeah, either. It's, I want to say yes, only because I can't think of anybody else internally who fits the bill or like anybody, you know, any one of Reinsdorf's friends or like, you know, mutual contacts, but you know, maybe it's like Jim Tomey comes out of nowhere and like, wow, he really knocked our socks off with his, uh, you know, he has a great handshake or whatever. Like, uh, so that's why I want to say, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say they find a way to disappoint again. Just, <laughs> I don't I don't have like a, you net... were, you started off. Yes. But now you switched over to no. Yeah. Just like, I couldn't think of, you know, anybody who made sense, but then like, you don't have to think of anybody who makes sense for the white Sox to do something you know, to, to hire a manager because they haven't made sense for, Years. They haven't made sense since, uh, you know, late stage Ozzy Guillen. They didn't make sense there. It didn't make sense with Ventura. Didn't make sense with Renteria. Really didn't make sense with Larusa. So why start now? Well, it's funny that you mentioned Jim Tomey because you were saying that I can't think of anyone. I can. AJ Brzezinski. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the rumored shortlist of managers. So we had Bruce Bochy's name attached from Bob Nightingale, the unofficial official mouthpiece of the Chicago White Sox and national media. We mentioned AJ Pruszynski, Willie Harris, all of a sudden is stumping for the potential job, Jim through NBC mm -hmm. sports, Chicago, former ex white Sox player, current third base coach of the Chicago Cubs briefly was a manager within the white Sox farm system before switching organizations those are the three rumored short list of managers right now for the White Sox. And you know what? Since Jim brought him up, let's also add in Jim Tomey for the heck of it. Why not? He's already currently working within the White Sox organization. <laughs> so let's share our short list of managers. Picking three that we would hope the White Sox interview because we like what they would bring to the organization. So we can go back and forth, Jim. Would you like to start? Would you like me to start? Uh, I guess since you mentioned him, like, you know, Willie Harris, I'm, you know, it's a case where, like, I feel like he got a raw deal the last time because he was basically their token hire so they could hire LaRusso. Like, what I forget what the name of the Rooney rule is for Major League Baseball. Selig rule? Is it, or is Selig rule something else? Where I think you're right. It is the Selig rule. Yeah. It's uh, basically, like, you have to hire a... Uh, person of, or you have to interview a person of color, at least one before, you know, making a you know, executive or managerial decision. And, you know, Harris was you know, like, Harris is the only known interview. And it just seemed like just to check the box. So, you know, on one hand, like I would like to see him get not a shake, you know, like if he had to waste his time before, um, you know, in order for the white Sox to pass a test, then like, I would like to see him get not a shake, but also don't want to see him have to go through the process again. So, I, I do think like, you know, among the former White Sox players who have been, you know, bandied about because the White Sox only look within themselves, like Harris is the one guy who hasn't spent that much time with the team, has gone elsewhere to look for, you know, to, to climb the ladder, has proven that he wants to manage, you know, he, he managed up the chain, um, has some coaching experience work at the major league level. So he's like the one guy, I think, of anybody who could be associated with the 2005 White Sox who are the, you know, or the, you know, just any former White Sox who's actually proven that he wants the job and is developing the skills, people skills, uh, you know, messaging skills, uh, you know, learning from others to learn how it's actually done. Whereas like Pierzynski, we've talked about before, like I can't think of one player who like Pierzynski made better. Like Pierzynski's always been good at, you know, catching, you know, being a major league catcher himself, but I just know that every time a former White Sox player got a chance to pitch to him, they threw at him. <laughs> so it's like, why would you want that guy leading team? Yeah, he'll light a fire in her until he, you know, they, they tune him out because they don't care. Like, you know, we're watching what the White Sox look like now and they don't care. So, yeah, it's going to take, you know, that that doesn't work when people don't actually like you and you don't have any reason to be around aside from like you're a friend of the owner. So it's, uh, yeah, we're already seeing what this looks like when 
the team can sense that a guy is a placeholder because the owner said so. So Harris is like the one guy of the former White Sox who's actually like done everything possible to make himself a candidate. So that's why like I would take him seriously as opposed to anybody else. All right. So number one on my list, and we talked about this over the years, we talked about this on Jeff Blum's podcast, Bleacher Blum's part of the Blue Wire podcast network. When we were previewing Astros White Sox earlier this season, Joe Espada, the bench coach of the Houston Astros, and just the way that Jeff Blum hyped up Joe Espada when I asked him how much Espada helps Dusty Baker day-to-day, Jim, completely sold me that mm-hmm. Espada should be a major league manager next season, that yeah. he should not have to wait until Dusty Baker decides to retire, which may happen soon, but Baker has a new contract with the Astros that he should be already managing elsewhere. And that would just be the perfect hire in my opinion, because Spada grew up in the Yankee system and now he knows what makes the Houston Astros click. And I don't care what anyone else thinks about the American league, Houston and New York, you're going to have to go through them. If you want to win the pennant, maybe Tampa Bay, in some years. So why not bring somebody who has that inner working knowledge and obviously gets high marks for the work that they have been currently doing with the Houston Astros and bring Joe Espada in like he is number one on my list that I would love for the White Sox to interview and hire to replace Tony of the Russo. Yeah. I, I thought of the conversation too, with Jeff Blum, uh, on the bleacher Blum's podcast, just talking about like the, uh, you know, what he meant and how he didn't want to see any team poach him away. And so he came to mind as well, I guess, instead of like just completely, you know, mooching off your idea for a second one, I'll throw in Matt Quattraro of the, uh, of the Rays, just because like same idea, hiring the bench coach of a team that does things well, I would say that like between the two, like, you know, given the Rays run on a shoestring budget, given that they, you know, they're going to make the wild card this year, even though they had major injury issues themselves and really had to scramble. Like, uh, I was also thinking about this when, you know, I had a list of like GM candidates in mind or baseball presidents in mind. Like if uh, I were asked about it going on the uh, Bernstein and Holmes show, just, you know, in case they, you know, grilled me about like who I wanted to see, like, um, you know, from Milwaukee, kind of similar idea in which like they have to scramble. Like, I don't think the Astros have to scramble or the Yankees have to scramble the way like the Brewers have to, or the Rays do. And I think the White Sox are closer to the Brewers and Rays than they are to the Yankees and Astros. And just in terms of resources and skills, supplying players to the major league level. So yeah, in the event that like, I'm looking for a bench coach of a successful team who might just, you know, has no chance of running the team he's currently playing for us or working for us, So he might have to go somewhere else. Like I would think Quattraro would be one. And I just saw that he's a uh, Selkirk, New York guy, uh, capital region. So that's another point for him. I can call him uh, Selkirk's uh, Matt Quattraro. And, and yeah, it's a uh, Quattraro. I need to actually work on my pronunciation of that, but yeah, uh, I went to Bethlehem central high school. Uh, I know the, uh, yeah, Perhaps we have some photos of him uh, in our system. I can take out from his high school, from his yearbooks. I can ask uh, my old contacts at the Times Union to see what they know, because Albany is called Smallbany because the degrees of separation are pretty are, are lower to know everybody. So perhaps I can just uh, call around and see who knows what. Well, number two on my list, if the White Sox want to hire someone with more experience, especially when it comes to age, Ron Washington the third base coach of the Atlanta Braves. I also think he deserves a second chance. I know things ended really badly with the Texas Rangers, but he helped manage that team to a pretty lengthy stretch of winning seasons, got them into the World Series twice, so he won two American League pennants. He is well known for helping and coaching up players to be better defensively. And if there's one area the White Sox do not have an option to be better in 2023, they must be better defensively. And I feel like if you are looking for a manager to help coach up the players to, if you're not going to bring in new faces into the roster, I think Ron Washington is your best bet to coach up some of the players for the Chicago White Sox to be better 
defensively because it is something that is a great deal of importance to wash. And even though he's 70 years old, I still feel like he should get one more shot, one more crack to manage again. And the Atlanta Braves love him. And mm-hmm. just the work that he's done, especially with Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley, I wouldn't. I would not be upset if Wash was a serious candidate for the White Sox opening, Jim. Yeah, I like that idea. I, I think you know when it comes to the age question, we you know Bruce Bochy would be another one who has the age thing. There would be a question, and to me, it's not so much like you know I I don't quite think like age is just a number because there's probably a point where they're just you know diminishing returns as there is in every field is basically every experience. So you have to be like, you know, aware of that. And you can't, I don't think you should downplay it, especially if it's, you know, such an important juncture in a, a, a franchise's existence. Like you can't just, you have to be aware of it. Um, but I think Washington has like, he's been engaged in the game. Like that's something LaRusa didn't have. Like he was, you know, LaRusa did not want to manage. Like he, he was involved in that. Like he was in front offices, but he didn't have like the instinct to come and manage and, and didn't, you had to be talked into the job by Jerry Reinsdorf. Like there was no, like, you know, Dusty Baker wanted to prove himself, wanted to show that he could still do it at the top level. And I think Washington's got that same thing going for him. And that just like, he, he's engaged. And I think he's somebody, you know, he's got the reputation as a player's manager, but it's like, it's not a pushover. He just seems like he's a relentless champion for his players. Like he's a, he's a guy who like uh, tries to inspire confidence. Like that's his, his, his goal, his goal. Like, and we saw with like Marcus Semyon, I think is probably the, uh, you know, his, his most storied pupil when it comes to just like, you know, the relentless amount of instruction and encouragement and patience he showed, uh, that, that got the best out of him. So I think like, that's why I think, you know, for a guy like Yohan Moncada, perhaps like Washington could be really good for him. Just being that kind of guy who won't accept less than what a player can be. And I think, you know, Washington showed that with Semyon in particular, but another guy, uh, you know, rather than just echo two ideas in a row, I think my third idea, since I've kind of given three and a half, my third idea would be Eduardo Perez, or Eduardo Perez, I should say. Uh, I'm working to uh, you know, correct that pronunciation on my my brain habits, but he's somebody who he's the Alex Coropath in terms of like he doesn't have the traditional coaching path from like you know the minors to the majors or bench coach to the majors. Like he did bench coach briefly, but like you know when when he became a candidate, he was more of a guy who uh, made his name by coaching international teams and Perez has done that. Like he's been involved in running teams, uh, you know, winter ball teams and such. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, been around baseball his whole life. And I just remember him, I think I've said this before, like spring training when he was a non-roster invitee for the White Sox, I want to say it was, you know, maybe 06, 07, something like that. And just like he was an NRI, but he seemed like he was running practice. And I don't know, it's just because he has a loud voice. And so like, you know, it, it's one of those voices that just, the Doppler effect does not apply. It does not diminish over the course of distance or get weaker or change pitch. It just, <laughs> he sounds like he's next to you. He, he could be, uh, you yeah, know, 250 feet away. There's no difference. Like, I know a couple of guys like that. I'm jealous because my voice blends in with the frequency of fluorescent lights and disappears after five feet. So... I've always uh, been impressed, maybe too impressed, by guys who just you know can effortlessly uh, project. <laughs> so that's that may be my uh, internal biases in play. But just he's somebody who, if he became a manager and like looked really good for it, like I think he's somebody who, uh, you know, if the White Sox thought he could, check him out. Um, you know, he's got the media experience. Like he's very outgoing. I think he's somebody who could. Uh, command an audience command like a fan base uh if uh the t- things got you know things got rolling like i think uh everybody would line up behind him so that's my read on the guy it's you know from a distance and from a limited body of work but it's somebody who like if he turned out to be really good i would not be surprised the last one on my list x white Sox player and coach and i know supposedly there is bad beef between Kenny Williams and Joey Cora, the current third base coach of the New York Mets. See, I'm picking guys that are on teams that are really good right now, <laughs> and they're going to the postseason. 
try to, you know, steal some of that. Uh, an attempt at brain drain of other organizations. Cora's been with the Pirates, and we know the Pirates haven't been very good, but he has been doing a good job with the New York Mets. I understand that there's bad beef, but I, I would like the White Sox to have an honest interview with Joey Cora. And he's kind of the same boat with Willie Harris, Jim, that if you're going to bring in ex-White Sox players to possibly be managers, managers in 2023, the only two that I'm really going to accept, and I don't count Eduardo Perez, I, I do like the idea, Jim, that you brought up. But I think Willie Harris and Joey Cora are the only two ex-White Sox players that I would seriously contemplate as good ideas to be the next White Sox manager in 2023. One off-the-wall idea. Oh, can I respond to that one real quick? Uh, yeah, the first one I don't like. And only because uh, the Guillens are close with him. How close? Uh, well, basically, Joey Cora ran the team or he ran practices while Kian, uh was managing for him. And just, uh, I think, like, you know, if if you don't like, you know, Ozzy Jr. and uh, Oni and uh, just, you know, all the assorted uh, Guillens, like, kind of just saying they know things about the way things are going in the White Sox clubhouse, like, I would steer clear of Joey Cora. All right. Fair enough. My off-the-wall idea. Someone in your backyard currently. Tim Corbin, head coach of Vanderbilt University. Hmm. And the reason is that when I watch Vanderbilt, they are one of the closer to the style of game the majors play on the college level. And we know he can recruit. He's like right up there. He's like with Nick Saban is the football. Tim Corbin is the baseball. It is ridiculous on what recruiting classes Vanderbilt gets and watching the top six guys in their recruiting list get drafted in the first round. Uh, He constantly gets the top prep players. And because of that, I I think it's recruiting is one thing, but he understands player development and he has won championships as well. So as far as tactics and strategy, I know it's there with Tim Corbin And I know that would be a pretty big leap to be coaching the premier college baseball program and going straight to the major leagues. But I'm curious in why, and maybe he has interviewed for other jobs, but I'm curious in why no major league team has spoken to Tim Corbin about being part of their coaching staff or possibly being a manager of their major league baseball team. I think this could be a sneaky good hire because he's involved in everything. And listen, if the White Sox organization does not want to be empowered, they do not want to take responsibility, I'll tell you this, Tim Corbin would take responsibility because he has to take responsibility for the program he developed at Vanderbilt. Well, it's kind of funny. The local media had gotten on Corbin a little bit at the end of the season because, you know, the as uh, you know, Tennessee was turning the tables on them, you know, last year at the end of the season, SEC and so forth, like Corbin stopped talking to the media, like started like, you know, leaving uh, the dugout early, leaving, you know, not, not making himself available. Players had to answer for him. And yeah, I guess, you know, they said like he became, he becomes prickly. Like when things aren't going well, like he, you know, you know gets short with the media does not handle defeat well. And I just wonder if he's somebody who might be more comfortable in a situation where like, you know, it's, how many games are in a college season? About 60. Yeah, it's so about, yeah, like 100 fewer games than a team plays. And like the competition's more lopsided to where like you don't have to answer after that many losses if you're a college coach, especially if you've been used to not losing the way Corbin's used to not losing. So I wonder, you know, when it comes to the major league season, every team loses 60 games. <laughs> if he would be somebody who just uh, would not have the uh, um, patience to deal with, uh, you know, why did you lose this game? Why did you make the decision? Being second guessed, being questioned, especially like if, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like the West Johnson situation, like if college coaches get paid already that well. And I imagine like, you know, given that Vanderbilt's, uh, you know, football program, isn't that great? I think like baseball program is basically, you know, what they have going for them. And so I imagine they point a lot of the resources there. Like, I think you'd have to pay a lot for Corbin. And I don't know if he'd get that much or you get your money's worth because I think he's just the way he's wired seems more used to like being able to uh, tilt the scales in his favor just with, you know, sheer recruiting and 
you know, team construction and uh, just more lopsided fields of competition. It's a, all those reasons you mentioned is why Nick Saban has never thought about the yeah. NFL again. That's what it kind of reminds me of. And same thing. I'm trying to think like the, didn't the NBA have a couple of high profile, like Brad Stevens is okay, but I'm trying to think who, who else like, yeah, there, there are a couple that just, Oh, Calipari. Yeah. John Calipari. Yeah. D- yeah. Th- that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Coach Zeski. I mean, he's always rumored never went in that direction. They get paid a lot of money in college football and college basketball and college baseball starting to catch up as far as with that type of payment. That's why it's my off the wall idea. Again, number Mm -hmm. one circled, highlighted, printed out, cut it, get a huge billboard of it by 35th and shields. Joe Espada. That's, that's my guy. And I'll go down to Ron Washington is my my second option. But I also love your picks as well, Jim. Now we just have to wait and see if that White Sox actually have a legitimate hiring process. That's all. Yeah, and I hope for for Willie Harris's sake that he is not the... uh, He interviews elsewhere besides the White Sox just because, you know, whether it's because the White Sox only consider former White Sox or because, like, you know, what he went through the last time. Like, I hope he gets an, an honest shake somewhere else so... He doesn't have to deal with the baggage that the White Sox impose upon uh, the player or the, the people tied to their managerial searches. Well, let's talk about this upcoming series, the last road series of the 2022 season, which is why I am in San Diego recording this episode. And the White Sox are going to be playing the Padres. So the Padres are currently 86 and 69 as we record this. We're recording this episode as the Padres are playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the Padres are either going to be 87 and 69 or 86 and 70, but they're still in a good spot right now of reaching the postseason, getting one of the National League wild cards. Your pitching problems in this series, Friday night, this is a 8.40 p.m. Central Time start. The Dart, Davis Martin will be making that start for the White Sox against you, Darvish. On Saturday and Sunday, San Diego is to be announced, but for the White Sox on Saturday night, 7.40 p.m. Central Time, it's Dylan Cease, And on Sunday at 3.10 p.m. Central Time, it'll be Lance Lynn. This is Cease's and Lynn's final regular season start for the White Sox and actually final start in 2022. Back to that Saturday game. We are having a meetup in San Diego. So if you live in San Diego or out west or if you already made the trek from Chicago to San Diego for this weekend, here are the meetup details. So Saturday, October 1st at 1.30 p.m. Pacific Time, to 4 p.m. Pacific time, we are planning to meet up at Bubs at the ballpark. It's at 715 J Street, really close to Petco Park. It's a huge bar. You can't miss it. During the game, if you can't make it for that meetup, we are going to be sitting in section 320 for the game. So the in-stadium meetup will be around that section uh, after 4 p.m. Pacific time. So we hope to see a lot of White Sox fans uh, coming to that game. Uh, I'm hoping we take over that entire section so you can easily see us on TV again, just like Minneapolis. It's going to be a lot of fun to see everyone out in San Diego. So if you did fly out, can't wait to see you guys on Saturday. Now, Dylan Cease's last start at 2022, Jim. Here are some tidbits that I found getting ready for previewing his final start. He needs just five more strikeouts to set a new single-season personal best. He had 226 strikeouts last year. He needs eight more strikeouts to have the second highest single season total in White Sox history. He needs to pitch six scoreless innings to have a season ERA below two. And he has the second lowest ERA by a White Sox starting pitcher since they raised the mound back in 1969. Wilbur Wood has a 1.91 uh, ERA back in 1971. Cease cannot beat the 1.91 unless he pitches like 13 scoreless innings, and I doubt that happens. Here's what I find fascinating. Looking at ERA plus, D- Dylan Cease has the best, or I should say the highest ERA plus in a single season for any White Sox starting pitcher at 193. He is 93% better than league average no White Sox starting pitcher has had an ERA plus that high and qualified for the ERA title. And I find that to be pretty fascinating because on top of that, Cease is also going to get a pretty big pump in pay 
Uh, remember the pre-arbitration bonus pool during the lockout in the new CBA? With a Cy Young winner, if their pre-arb gets $2.5 million, second place gets $1.75 million, and third place gets $1.5 million. So Dylan Cease is going to get some of that. And if he makes the All-Major League Baseball team, first team, he gets a million. If he makes a second team, he gets 500000 I'm thinking Jim Dylan Cease is getting at least $2 million in bonus pool money. So he's going to get a bump in pay. But this has truly been a historical season for Dylan Cease. One of the best we've ever seen from a White Sox starting pitcher. And just like Chris Sale, it will result in no postseason appearance for yeah, him. Yeah, I think the remarkable thing is like he he's going to do this while leading the league in walks. Um, like that has been pretty present like this last month, especially like the strikeouts have dropped off. Like he's only had eight strikeouts over his last two starts combined. And he's he walked uh, three batters in each of the last two starts. And like he hasn't really had a classic Dylan C start in terms of like missing bats for like a month, basically Uh, actually September 8th, he struck out nine over six innings, six shutout innings against Oakland. And then the rest have been, you know, more or less battles for him. So, uh, you know, it feels a little bit less than that. I think just because of the walks and feeling like, um, you know, when Chris sale had the great ERA years he had, like he topped 200 innings. So it was just a little bit smoother. So that's why I think like the numbers you, you shared are surprising, but yeah, it has been a great season. Um, and, and, you know, I'm hoping that he'll, uh, you know, it'd be great if he threw like that kind of six shutout innings you talked about, uh, you know, racking up, like, you know, reaching double digits and strikeouts one more time for the season, like one more for the road, just one of the few unqualified bright spots for the White Sox this season. Like, I, I don't want to see, you know, the, the recent stretch of play that has uh, basically dragged the White Sox down to that of like a Detroit level team. Uh, I don't want to see him caught up in that. Like he's been too good for too long to uh, just have one start kind of, uh, you provide a bad aftertaste on the way out. Never happened in our lifetime. A white Sox starting pitcher who qualified for the ERA title gym to have an ERA that starts with one. And it's, it's within reach of Dylan cease. Again, this has been a truly historical season. Can't wait to see him on Saturday against the San Diego Padres. And then Lance Lynn, I got a steak dinner writing on this. This is all he needs to do, Jim. He needs to go nine scoreless innings to get a season ERA down to 3.86. Then he needs every remaining starting pitcher in the regular season to give up at least 10 earned runs. And I think that'll get Lynn to a 108 ERA plus. So I'm holding out hope, Jim, uh, just like the White Sox postseason chances. However, nice. since <laughs> since August 1st, Lynn has a 2.55 ERA over 67 innings. Overall, it's not going to be a very pretty 21-game outlook in 2022 for Lance Lynn. But the way that he bounced back in these last two months gives me confidence going into 2023 that Lynn, if he can remain healthy, is the White Sox number two starting pitcher behind Dylan Cease and helping lead the rotation. Well, that's kind of, uh, you know, Partially based on his skills, but also, you know, Johnny Cueto is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So there isn't like a natural number two. I mean, you know, Lucas Giolito is just trying to finish the year and Michael Kopech's done for the year. So really it's like, uh, it is Lance Lynn has to be that guy, even if you don't think he quite is. Last couple starts for him have been rough. He's a guy who seems like he's taken the White Sox failures uh, to just kind of just called a year himself like the bottling which is terrible not backing up bases when he gives up a hit so like he's not covering himself in glory these last couple starts so it has been a nice rebound for him but he's somebody given the you know given the year he's had given the injury risk that he will be like he can't quite afford to like mailed in three starts in a row and expect people to maintain faith in him like I know he was a fan favorite but you know just given um, his association now with the White Sox struggles this year that I think he's somebody should he have like a Dallas Keuchel type start, and given that, you know, he'd be a free agent after the year. Like I can see the loyalty to him, uh, you know, fan base or otherwise just more or less being like, well, do we really want to attach our hopes to this guy? We'll recap this series on Monday on Monday, Sox machine podcast. We're also going to be talking more about the final Series of the regular season for all teams and what's still open in the Major League Baseball postseason race. One programming note. So typically we have been joining the Bernstein and Home show on Fridays. We will not be joining 
Bernstein and Holmes uh, tomorrow on the upcoming show as it's a shortened show because the Chicago Cubs are playing at home and they got to get prepared for the Bears talk. But next Thursday, October 6th, around 11 a.m. Central Time, both Jim and I will be on the Bernstein and Holmes show on 670 The Score to recap the 2022 season with Dan and Lawrence and uh, preview what is to come this upcoming offseason for the Chicago White Sox will be on their show for an extended look at the White Sox 2022 season and preview the offseason. Uh, again, that's going to be on Thursday, October 6th at around 11 a.m. Central Time on 670 to score and the Odyssey app. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. And if you enjoy our work and you want more, or if you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they are the first ones to receive it. You can sign up for just $2 a month or save with an annual subscription. Again, that URL is patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.